As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 224 of the Bags and Brisby Podcast. I'm Grant Brisby, here with Andy Bagley. And Andy, the Giants threw 224 pitches in Game 3 of the 2016 NLDS. This is uh, the Connor Gillespie game, Part 2, where he hit the uh, big-time triple off of Veraldus Chapman. Uh, an underrated game, I think, in Giants history. I think Aroldis Chapman's fastball was like 103 or something, mm-hmm. and Connor Gillespie had never gotten a hit on, on a on a pitch that hard in his life. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I was talking to somebody, I forget who it was. Oh, I think it might have been Sergio Romo. And we mm-hmm. were talking about, hey, you know, Hunter Pence had his moment where he came back, and Pablo had his moment where he came back. And and uh, and I said, well, yeah, and there's also Travis Ishikawa. Oh, yeah, Travis Ishikawa and Connor Gillespie. Oh, yeah, Connor Gillespie. It's like there's so many Ryan Vogel songs. <laughs> You forget how many there have been. So, so really, the question is, you know, you know, when does uh, I don't know um, Derek Law come back and save the, the <laughs> 2025 World Series? Still waiting for Boof Bombs over here. Still waiting for Boof. I will waiting say, I will say, it, just going through this box score in the game is so much fun. Like, a Joe Panic has like the most underrated walk off hit in Giants history. He won a postseason game. It's amazing. But then Ty Block pitched two innings for the win. He got the final outs of the Cubs in the top of the 13th, uh, got David Ross in a double play. Like, I had forgotten, I'd, I'd remember Ty Block's opening day shutout, um, but I had forgotten his uh, contributions to the playoff win. So, I, I don't know, it's it's a treasure trove. Now that we have distance between the, the collapse of the bullpen in 2016, go back and have some fun with that game. Underrated game. Yeah, and you know what? You also sort of go under the, the hood and you remember that Matt Moore pitched an awesome game in, in the mm. one that obviously the bullpen gave away. I mean, he was 
dynamite. And yeah. another one that sticks out to me that everyone forgets about, uh, you know, because it ended with Wayne Franklin giving up a grand slam to Steve Finley and the Dodgers winning the division. Mm-hmm. But Brett Tomko pitched a heck of a ball game that day to give the Giants a chance to win and, and, and keep them alive and, and maybe have a chance to make the playoffs that year, t- 2004. So we're going pretty far back, I guess, in Giants history now. That was my first year on the beat, which is crazy, crazy to think that was 20 years ago. But um, but yeah, you, you do sort of go back down memory lane and you realize there are some there's some pretty good underrated performances that just we forget about because of the way the games ended or, or the spotlight was taken off of them. And I guess that that's a nice segue into Anthony DiScalfani because he happened to get his first win since signing that three-year, $36 million contract and wow. pitched for the first time since since uh, it came 17 years, uh, 17 months after he signed it, which is not ideal for anybody. And, and he pitched for the first time since June of last year and, and absolutely carved up the White Sox. And hardly anyone noticed because the Giants hit seven <laughs> home runs uh, to take the series opener on what was a real wah-wah of a home opener for the White Sox. I almost felt bad for him. Uh, but, uh, yeah, what were your what were your thoughts watching that game unfold? I noticed Disclafani. I noticed Andy, and I was... Because people forget just how good he was. And it, I think it even started before the injury. I guess he was hurt at the time. Uh, you know, he was having ankle problems toward the end of 2021. But people remember, well, you know, he wasn't so hot against the Dodgers. And uh, the NLDS was a little bit of a downer. He was so good in 2021. He was what the Giants were hoping he would be. He was a guy who could consistently get the ball into the, those middle innings, the, the sixth inning, the seventh inning. And he was like the best version of Jeff Samarja. Uh, if you remember the years when Samarja was good, that's kind of what Desclafani was giving them. And last year was a, was a bummer. Absolutely. But it wasn't because of uh, shoulder weirdness. It wasn't because he needed Tommy John surgery. It was uh, an ankle. And if he's pushing off as well as he was in 2021, why shouldn't he be good again? And if he's good again, uh, it seems like a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, another guy that you can sort of chalk up to the lockout, not being able to communicate with Mm. with coaches. You wonder how much more, um, I guess, advanced notice or how would they have handled that ankle differently when he showed up to camp and it still bothered him. Uh, sort of surprising everyone when it still bothered him at the start of last season. Um, you know, maybe that's something they could have dealt with a, a couple months earlier and might have changed things. But, uh, um, you know, that's all kind of water under the bridge. And, you know, we, we looked at it at the time and, you know, boy, they didn't re-sign Kevin Gosman. They did sign Anthony DiScalfani. You know, how much would they have just rather moved that money and make it a down payment on, on a third of a Kevin Gosman contract? But, um, you know, those those contracts haven't played themselves out yet. Gosman's contract with the, with the Blue Jays looks great, but hasn't played itself out yet either. And Scafani um, is somebody who you think, well, you know, all this pitching depth is great because it's going to allow them to cover guys who are kind of struggling and maybe go a little shorter with them. And maybe you're putting Scafani in that bucket, but maybe what if he doesn't have to be in that bucket? What if he's in a different bucket, a very good bucket with no <laughs> leaks, a very nice, sturdy Home Depot bucket? Uh, so um, that that would be a huge positive for the Giants who, who already think that this is going to be a massive strength of their team. And maybe it's one that they could leverage even a little bit more. Andy, wait for Home Depot to send a check before you, you talk about their sturdy buckets. I have to say that Orchard Supply Hardware also makes fine buckets, as do the good folks at Lowe's, uh, while also maybe donating to less nefarious uh, uh, political <laughs> candidates. So, yeah. uh, I'm an let's, ace Let's man. go with Lowe's. Yeah, well, I'm an ace man. I like my ace hardware. They, they got uh, some roots in the community. I don't know. 
Um, wow, we're off track. Let me just swing it on back to uh, Shamanaya being like the, the piggyback starter with Desclafani. Is that going to be a regular occurrence? Is that going to be uh, something that they pick their matchups? If it's going to be a lineup that's a little bit more susceptible to left-handed pitchers, is it going to be Desclafani coming in as the piggyback starter? How are they going to navigate this? It's fascinating to me. So the first thing is, I'd like to change the nomenclature because I just don't like the term piggyback. Can we go with tandem starter or maybe even like go to WWF Wrestling Land and call it a tag team starter? Um, Human rotational centipede. Human rotational. I could I could deal with that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we could go with any of those. Um, I've been going with tandem starter later lately, but uh, um, but yeah, you know, it, it's I think it's a tricky thing because you know relievers like to have roles, right? Well, starters really have roles. Mm-hmm. They actually have roles. Their role is right there in the uh, title of what they do, which is starter. They start the game, and, and maybe okay, we're going to have this reliever open for you, but then you're going to start the second. Okay, that's fine. I can deal with that. But now you got Shamanaya playing long toss before the game starts and two hours later he's coming in walking in from the bullpen with a pitch timer by the way um trying to figure out where the hole is on the mound and and doing all the regular stuff he does uh digging in uh, as a starter uh while the fans are singing the seventh inning stretch you know so it's all got to be a little bit discombobulating for him and i don't blame him for walking the first two hitters he faced uh you know it it was asking a lot for the giants to do this and they probably assumed that he would be in you know in uh, to start the fifth inning or the sixth inning uh and Fani needed only 73 pitches to get through six. So Manaya ended up working a little bit later. But um, I do think that they're going to have him go back and forth a little bit. Gabe Kapler did say he's going to, you know, sort of take down, you know, three to four, you know, quick innings in games like these. But he's also going to start a fair number of games. And I think they're going to, as best they can, uh, without, you know, making people feel like they're in a hurricane, um, tweak their rotation so that if you have a uh, facing a team with a heavy right-handed lineup you're able to you know throw your right-handers and if you have a team with a lot of lefty bats then then maybe you can concentrate some of your left-handers so i do think they are going to try to tailor from series to series as as best they can all off season once it became clear that the giants were going to have uh, six starters if disclafani was healthy all off season and all spring i assumed that uh, Alex Wood was going to be the guy who would come in and become the tandem starter, who would be, because he has experience doing that. He has a lot of experience doing that uh, with his time in Los Angeles. He did it in the postseason to great effect. I thought he was going to be the guy. I will say it's got to be jarring for Sean Manaya, who has been a starter and been a, a pretty good one for a few years now, to all of a sudden take on this new role. I'm sure they did it with communica- with proper communication. I'd like to hope so, uh, and that he's prepared for it and he's uh, eager to take on this new challenge. But I really thought it would be Wood. Are they super high on Wood's ability to get through two, three times through the order now? I don't know. I, it may be a situation more where they, you know, they use Wood almost like a jumbo opener, you know, mm. where he's um, he's facing the lineup the first time through, or maybe even if he's looking good, maybe the second time through, and that's it. I mean, they they were pretty hard and fast about that with him last year, and and uh, and you know uh, he he is going to be pitching uh, the finale of this series on on Thursday. There are a lot of right-handed bats in that White Sox lineup, so maybe he's only going to go through it one time, and they mm-hmm. say, okay, do it, get as many outs as you can, and we'll have you backed up with with Jacob Junis or or uh, or Sean Jelly or whoever is is available that day. Um, so you know, I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think necessarily it means that uh, that Wood is going to be um, used in a, a specific sense. I, I do think they are going to try to shield him from from um, 
you know, from right-handers as best they can. And, 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 and the big thing is they're going to, you know, probably not have him, you know, go long in games. Uh, and, and that's, that's one thing they can do, um, very easily for the most part is, um, you know, they'll be able to kind of just tap out with guys who just don't have it on a given day and not, not wait around for them to not wait for them to give up their fifth home run to decide, well, it's time to go to the bullpen. <laughs> like the White Sox did, uh, uh yesterday. Yeah, I, I will say that if it sounds like I'm being skeptical, I'm not. I am fascinated by the the composition of this pitching staff because you have Jacob Junis, you have Sean Jelly, you have uh, whoever is not starting, whether it's Manaya or Wood or Disclafani or Stripling, if they're going to take him and bring him out every so often. I don't know. It's just fascinating to think the different permutations they can attack teams with. Uh, it's gonna. It's a lot of moving parts, and like you said, pitchers are creatures of habit. So I don't know if success is guaranteed, but I will say there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical about uh, the Giants, how they built their rosters and uh, different moves, different moves they didn't make, different moves they did make. You kind of have to trust them when it comes to pitching and specifically starting pitching, identifying what works, uh, identifying who to bring in, how to deploy them. That's one area where I think they've earned a little bit of trust. So if they're trying something uh, that's a little bit uh, outside of the box, I'm sort of intrigued and I think everyone else should be too. Yeah. And, and that probably goes for their, their bullpen as well. And, um, you know, that they've got a lot of different choices there too. Um, and I think what's really interesting is, you know, you don't just have depth at the minor leagues, you have depth that's on the 40 man roster, you know, whether it's Tristan Beck or Keaton Wynn, um, you know, they have, uh, or Sam Long. I mean, they've got guys down there who they feel were looked pretty good in camp. And I know that Beck had a little bit of a wonky first start, uh, and it probably won't be too long until Kyle Harrison establishes himself as somebody who uh, is ready for a call-up. So, you know, even if things go a little bit sideways uh, with some of their, you know, A options and their B options, they've got some C options they feel pretty good about. And, boy, I cannot remember many teams that I've covered uh, entering the season feeling like that from a pitching standpoint. I mean, you know, you always hear, oh, you can never have enough catching. Oh, you can never have enough <laughs> pitching. Well, you can never have enough. You can really never have enough of anything. Everyone's just greedy for <laughs> talent. You can never have enough uh, bubble gum in, in the dugout. Well, that's true. You, you can never have enough bubble gum in the dugout. Um, but uh, but pitching, I think, is probably the one that, that everyone agrees that, that that sort of cliche really applies to the most. And, and the Giants, uh, I think, are probably the envy of almost every team in baseball when it comes to how many options they're going to have. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Because you can go back all the way back to the end of 2022 when the Giants were just continually throwing out bullpen games because that's all they had. That is all they had. They just they had to grind it through with John Brebbia starting all these games. And it worked to some extent uh, toward the end of last year. But it's not as if they were doing it because they thought it would work. They were doing it because they had to. And I just don't see them having to do that a lot this year. There would have to be way too many dominoes. So uh, I'm on board with with whatever they're trying because they've proven to me that they're starting pitching and their their ideas about how to get out. That's one of the areas where it seems unambiguous that they're pretty good at figuring out how to get outs. Yeah. So do you want to talk about the offense? Because, boy, we saw two different offenses here in, in, in these giant, huge sample of four games that we've watched this season. Yeah, I, I had like this kernel of an idea of an article I would write after the Sunday game, which was incredibly dull, just a dull, flat uh, offensive performance. And it was going to be about if the Giants were to hold your attention this year, how would they do it? You know, it felt a little too much of a downer uh, that it would be something to write after a win. And if they're going to be exciting, you're going to have Tyra Estrada threatening a 2020 season, maybe, you know, a 2030 or 2040 season because he looks like he's ready to run. But Tyra Estrada being the guy that the Giants, they have a lot of confidence in him, clearly. Being that guy, well, that would be pretty exciting. David VR being the same guy he was in Sacramento, just sort of moving those numbers up a level, that would be exciting. Mike Yastrzemski coming back, that would be exciting. There is a path to an exciting Giants lineup. And I was like, well, I don't think that's really believable after Sunday. After yesterday, you see it. You see if Tyro Estrada is going to hit the ball with that much authority, if Mike Yastrzemski is going to continue to take good at bats, if David VR is going to continue to hit the ball hard. It's not set in stone, but I could see the path toward, oh, this is going to work. Yeah, and and I think you pointed out uh, that David Villar hit a ball harder than he's ever hit in the big Mm -hmm. leagues, which isn't, you know, again, he he debuted last year and only had a handful of at-bats, but he did, you know, knock out a a fair number of home runs. And uh, he's not the exit velo king. He's like in the 27th percentile. He still hasn't hit a homer in San Francisco, which is something he wants to check off the list. And just how functional will his power be in the big leagues, I think, is a legitimate question. And so, you know, for him to to have uh, a couple of uh, to uh, a couple of you know hard hit balls, I think on the first road trip is is a good sign. Even on opening day, you know Tyro Estrada hit two balls on opening day that were 107 miles plus off the bat. One of them off Garrett Cole, the other off Wandy Peralta. And uh, you know this is a guy the Giants are thrilled. They I predicted he's going to be 2020. He's going to be their first 2020 player since Hunter Pence. Uh, hmm. uh, and and Pence and Pence is the only other guy who's done it since Barry Bonds. So um, it's not something the Giants have had on their roster a whole lot. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that he could very easily be a 2020 player, and 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 you know what? It, it, it may be exciting. We may have the 3030 players come back again uh, with <laughs> with how these new rules look like. They really are goosing uh, stolen bases, and um, you know we may see some. I, I think Randy Rosarena is going to be a 3030 player this year. Has a really good chance to be. You know that takes me back to baseball when we were watching it when we were kids, flipping you know baseball cards, and yeah, the Jose Cansecos of the world. Uh, uh, so you know I I I think it's kind of cool I, I i feel like i'm recognizing a lot more of of the game right now which is which is pretty neat only 80s kids will remember just how important 40 40 was um by the way back then you weren't flipping baseball cards in the 80s that's when everyone they had like the protective sheets and everyone's uh keeping their cards in mint condition you weren't flipping cards were you no, you're, you're right. I, I basically um, uh, was relying on uh, my Greg Jeffries collection to put me through college. Yes. Um, that, 
that didn't happen. They still let me go to college, um, so that was nice. <laughs> that was nice of them. I have a lot of Sam Horns as well as my backup plan. I think, well, if Greg Jeffries doesn't work out, Sam Horn will. Uh, maybe Ricky Jordan. You know, one of these guys will hit, and then uh, I'll be in the money. I did keep, I, at one point, I think I had about maybe 20 Ken Griffey upper deck rookies, and Ooh. I very, very... Um, uh, gradually traded them for other things. I traded one for a Cal Ripken, 1982 tops rookie. I traded one for a George Brett rookie. So I've got um, I've got my collection of, of a lot of the coolest cards in my collection. I think are things I traded King Griffey upper deck rookies for, which I still have like maybe six or seven. But you know they're not PSA graded. They they've had like you know they've been touched by human hands. They uh, I think the corners are mostly pretty good, but maybe they're off center the slightest bit. So they're probably worth nothing too. But you know it's uh it's I still open up my little uh my little chest that's got all my cards in it. And I, I walked into Lefties in Burlingame when I was walking by after getting a haircut the other day, and nice. and I popped in and I bought bought two packs of Topps baseball cards and almost fainted when it was ten dollars <laughs> for two packs i said ten dollars okay where's my change and where's the gum oh i get neither okay all right i guess i'm gonna like this i got juan soto though in, in one of my packs that was cool um, there you go but uh so so yeah it's it's i i do remember uh, whether it was bo jackson or 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 barry bonds or jose canseco you know 40 40 was was a big big deal when it happened I just I'm going to do this live, so to speak, on air because I went the other direction with my Ken Griffey Jr. I didn't trade them away. I traded for the Ken Griffey uh, Jr. upper oh. deck, and what I traded for, uh, or what I traded away, was the Magic Johnson Larry Bird rookie. Do you remember that? <gasps> where you yes, have like the, the tops cards, where they have like three. Uh, it's like a triptych, and you have these three that you could tear off. And so it was hard to find when you could just have one. So I'm going to look um, how much they are worth now. Um, let's see, a mint one just sold for seventy four thousand. Um, but just in general, it's a multi-thousand dollar card. So um, me and Ken, you know, I still have the Ken Griffey Jr. It's great, whatever. But uh, he cost me, that, that actually could have paid for uh, like a, a semester at San Jose State probably. You know what's funny? I, I, I love how like baseball card companies just, uh, they just kind of gave up. It's like, well, we can only have 700 cards in the set. And which of these rookies is going to be in the big, I don't know. So let's just put three of them on a card. Let's just slap <laughs> them together. Maybe one of them. So, so you got like Cal Ripken's rookie card, you know, which you yes. think is an iconic card. Does have a great photo of him or something in action, making a diving play. No, it's a mugshot shot of him in wedged in between shortstop Bob Bonner and pitcher Jeff Schneider who <laughs> looks like uh, who basically Jeff Schneider's picture if you ever google this and look him up he looks like the stock photo of the onion from one of the guys from the herd on the street uh, uh, you know thing that they do oh, um, yeah, 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 yeah I can totally see that <laughs> he looks exactly like that guy uh, yes. but I, I think it would be fun maybe, maybe I'm getting the kernel for my own story idea I think it'd be fun to look up some of the big Biggest one of these trips triptych cards and and see what happened to the other guys. What are they doing now? You know, what do they think about the fact that they can say, "Hey, my rookie cards are worth eight hundred and fifty dollars in mint condition." You know, uh, that that might be a lot of fun. I'll tell you the other thing that made me think about this is I was talking with Armando Rios randomly uh, a little while ago, a former Giant, nice. uh, who's now an agent, and um, uh, we were talking about the Giants, and he mentioned that he 
is on the same rookie card as Gabe Kapler. Um, so oh. uh, I thought, well, that's random. So I, I was going to mention that to Gabe Kapler, but I haven't haven't yet. But yeah, there's uh, there's some people. I mean, the f- players remember this. They 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 know you know who who else is on their rookie card for these these triptychs. So I don't know. Maybe I've got the idea of a fun story coming here. I know for a fact that I used to have an opinion about what was the best um, rookie triptych, uh, meaning it had, you know, Eddie Murray and Cal Ripken or something like that, where you had uh, two players on this same card. Uh, obviously, Bird and, and uh, Magic Johnson's a pretty darn good one in basketball. But in baseball, I used to have an opinion. No idea who it was. So I listen, do that research. 80s kids uh, and the 70s kids, uh, we would uh, be grateful for your research. Yeah, and we're talking, I mean, we go back a while. I mean, like I have a Fergie Jenkins rookie, and he shares equal billing with infielder, outfielder Bill Sorrell of the Phillies. You know, <laughs> so um, I mean, this is a guy, the guy's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best uh, pitchers in, in, in baseball history, and his rookie card is, you know, a mugshot next to uh, another guy's mugshot. So, um, yeah, I, I think, aren't uh, Nolan Ryan and Jerry Kuzman, I think, were on the same rookie? Um, oh, that's a good one, yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there are some where, where you know, I think Tom Bernanski is on one. I mean, there's some good player. I mean, Tom Bernanski had a good career, but I think, uh, you know, he's, he's on with like Ken Herbeck being, or something. Yeah, I think you're right. So, um, hmm. you know, Ken Herbeck, obviously not a Hall of Famer, but a pretty good player. Um, yeah, you got it. You got it right. So. Yeah, there's there's some there's some fun ones out there. Oh man, uh, I am a I, some of the things I've written about baseball cards are some of my favorite personal pieces. So I I encourage you to write something like that so I can read it. I just would prefer the content. Um, but I I do I, I have I regret to inform you that we need to reel it back in and talk about the 2023 Giants. Uh, I real quick. I just don't want to go by without mentioning it. Uh, Lamont Wade Jr.'s defense at first base. Yeah, yeah, a small sample, but I'm impressed. It's almost like they told him, hey, you're going to be a first baseman primarily this this year. And he said, okay. And he prepared for that role and the early returns. And it's early, early. But the early returns look good to me. You know, he has been just a ray of sunshine. Um, and he, it was really tough. You could tell that he was going through a really tough time last year. Um, I don't want to say that he was, like, grumpy or moody. Uh, he just gave off the vibe that he was just, just you know, don't, the don't approach me vibe uh, mm-hmm. last year, which was very different from, from our experience with him. And I, I've tended to learn not to take that personally with, with mm-hmm. players uh, because it usually means they're dealing with something. It usually means they don't feel good or they're dealing with something personally. And and this year, it's it's just it's right back to the Lamont Way Jr. that we experienced uh, in 2021, where he's um, he's chatty, he's uh, you know he's um, upbeat. Uh, you can tell he's feeling good about where he is. Uh, obviously, the Giants are are really rely on him big time. And uh, you're right, and that's something I I was starting to write about uh, in spring training uh, after watching just what went into uh, Kai Correa and uh, I watched him out there with Wilmer Flores and Lamont Wade Jr. And just really interesting to see how they sort of prep these guys um, on the infield. They do a lot of different drills uh, that are pretty cool. And um, and you could tell that Wade was really into it too. I mean, they make practice very challenging. Um, and he was really good talking about it and, and thought he was going to set himself up to be a, a really good defensive player this year. And you're right. I mean, he made a great diving play in New York. He made uh, a difficult play on, on that double play that ended the, the, the one win they got in New York. Uh, he's made a couple nice picks. Uh, he's probably saved Brandon Crawford two errors already this season. <laughs> um, so, 
Uh, yeah, you're right. And, you know, David Villar has looked pretty good at third base as well. Um, hasn't gotten that kind of diving play yet, but, um, you know, has had a couple of between hops things that he's he's looked pretty smooth handling it. So if, if they're good defensively on, on the corners um, and they still have Brandon Crawford doing what he does at short, uh, that's that's a that's a pretty good sign that, you know, maybe this infield defense may not be the best in baseball, but uh, if it's if it's reliable, then that's that may be enough. Yeah, best in baseball isn't necessarily the goal. Um, not just abjectly bad, you know, not one of the worst in baseball, which they were at times last year. And you're right about VR. That's where I was going next. He looks smooth. And if the Giants are correct, that Tyro Estrada uh, with experience will become a plus second baseman. Because as you know, and you've pointed out, uh, his numbers counterintuitively uh, got better when he moved to shortstop. And I think that's a function of experience, not athleticism more because he's, you know, he's ranging a certain way better than the other way. Um, So I think with experience, he's become a, a better defensive second baseman. And that's a pretty solid uh, infield. And then even when you get Wilmer Flores there uh, for Wade or J.D. Davis, they're not bad first basemen. Um, They are not uh, incompetent at all over there. So there's a chance that this infield could move to average, maybe slightly above average, which is wild considering where they were last year. And I assumed it was just going to be a little bit more of the same. Um, It's a pleasant surprise for me. Yeah, and you know, like uh, we've talked about Manaya and how do they get him work and how do they use him? I think that uh, sort of the analog on the offensive side is going to be J.D. Davis and how do mm-hmm. they how do they get him uh, in the lineup as often as they can? Because it's either going to mean uh, sitting Wade or sitting VR or sitting Jock Peterson, and I don't think they want him to play any outfield. So that's going to be, I think, a daily little puzzle to figure through because they they think J.D. Davis is primed to have a pretty good offensive year. But, you know, all all these things will sort themselves out over time. They'll have to reincorporate Mitch Hanniger probably in the next two weeks, and they'll be happy to do so. He's a big part of this offense, but they've had to make do without him and and move some pieces around. So somebody else is going to get hurt. Somebody else is going to need some time off, and and they'll have to adjust. But yeah, I I think overall, this is a team that that does have the potential to hit a lot of homers. We saw that uh, against the White Sox. And, you know, one cool thing that Michael Conforto said when I talked to him was, you know, it's not like we're one-dimensional either. I think this could be a very balanced offense when it's all said and done. There are guys who can bunt their way on base, whether it's Blake Sable or Tyro Estrada or or Hunter uh, or a Bryce Johnson. Um, you know, there are guys who can steal a base. There are guys who, who can run the base as well. So uh, he doesn't think they're necessarily going to be an all-or-nothing type of offense. They'll just be a team that can beat you a few different ways offensively. And, you know, obviously the strikeouts, I think, give you a little bit of pause early on. But, uh, you know, they, they won't face Garrett Cole in every series they play all year, which is probably <laughs> good. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, you can't really divine too much from four game. But, you know, they're 2-2. Two and two, And to be honest, if they get to Mother's Day and they're 500, I think that's where they need to be. Yeah, you brought up uh, J.D. Davis. And that's it's, it. you're reading my mind because that's where I was going next. Uh, he has six at-bats on the year. And I know that's a fun function of uh, seeing a lot of right-handers early um, that's going to get weighed in the lineup that's going to get uh, you know that's going to get a lot of the left-handers in the lineup but that surprised me that uh, he's had just seven plate appearances six at bats uh, fewer than Blake Sable and that's for different reasons but I just I wonder how they're going to fit him into the lineup and I think it should be easier because he doesn't have huge platoon splits. He's not a guy that you only can get uh, going against lefties. He's a guy who can hit righties. But how do you 
do that? Like, where do you fit him in? Is it at the expense of Lamont Wade? Is it at the expense of uh, a different player? I'm curious to see how they're going to do it because I, I agree. I think he has the potential to be one of the better hitters uh, for the Giants this year. He just has to get the at-bats. And they've got another hitter coming. I mean, they've got Gary Sanchez coming, and we haven't mm. talked about that, but that's probably the, the newsiest thing that's happened in terms of roster stuff in this first week is that, you know, Joey Bart's on the injured list, and, and who knows when he's going to be part of this catching uh, uh, group again because they'll probably send him, I would imagine, uh, to the minor leagues, which, you know, they can frame as not being a demotion, but you know, getting this guy some baseball under his belt because uh, he won't have seen live pitching for quite a while uh, by the time he's eligible to return from his back strain if indeed he just needs the 10 days. Uh, and by which time Gary Sanchez could be ready to go. And you could have, uh, uh, you know, a Bebo Perez, Gary Sanchez uh, combo at get catcher. And, you know, it'll also mean what, what do they do with Blake Sable? Will they still be able to keep him on the roster uh, when they're ready for Sanchez? Because they clearly have wanted Gary Sanchez to be one of their catchers uh, for a good portion of the offseason. They had to wait for him to lower his sights. Uh, you know, from from asking for a major league deal. Uh, they want to evaluate him in the minors. They don't know if 100% if this is going to work out, but they think, I think they, they're confident that it probably will. Um, so, you know, Gary Sanchez is going to be on this team. And, and Farhan Saidi almost you know, telegraphed it the day before when he was on KNBR. And he said, we want Joey Bart not to be an 8-9 hitter, but to be, you know, a guy who can hit fifth or sixth. Well, Gary Sanchez can do that. Yeah, he'll give you a lot of swing and miss too. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously he's got way more track record of being able to, you know, redirect the baseball and hit the ball out of the park. And um, and I think that the Giants will, will take that. And, and they maybe we'll be taking that very soon. All right. This has been episode 224 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, we will talk about a week's worth of baseball. Uh, we will see you then. Uh, any predictions? Give me a, a prediction, Andy. Record. Give me a record prediction over the next week. Uh, uh, I say, um, I'll say they sweep the Royals and, uh, maybe, maybe they'll take two of three in Chicago, come home at 500 and then sweep Kansas city. How's that? Uh, that's, that sounds good. I don't know why I did that. I hate when people ask me for specific predictions, uh, like on radio and stuff like, I mean, the, the giants record this year, I hate it. So, uh, I just passed along to you. I don't know. Out of spite. I don't know. They'll win some, they'll lose some, but they'll <laughs> all, right. all go. The games will all go very, very fast. Oh, delightfully so. All right, this has been episode 224 of Bags and Brisby. We will be back next week. Thanks for listening. We will see you then. <laughs>